Welcome, everyone, to the first edition of the Phasic Tipton Focus Podcast. Jesse Ullery here, and we are joined by Ned Toffee of Spendthrift Farm. We're going to recap the July sale that we just had, and we are going to look forward to our Saratoga sale, the 102nd Saratoga sale. Looking forward to that coming up in just a few weeks. Ned, thanks for joining us this morning, fresh off the heels of a, of a busy weekend for us. Yeah, well, th- thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a great weekend, and, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be the uh, the inaugural guest here on your podcast. So. You, you should be. You should be. This is history, <laughs> history-making stuff here. So let's quickly recap the July sale. Uh, you guys topped the sale this year with a first crop sire. You've had a mm-hmm. Had some success over the years with the July sale, which we'll get into in a little bit. But this year, you topped the sale with an authentic filly, his first crop of of yearlings this year. What have you seen by him? Did you expect your own horse, not just by your sire, but mm-hmm. a horse that you bred to top the sale this year? You know, I honestly would say I would have been surprised uh, if you told me she was going to top the sale. She was a very nice filly. We, had, we came in with the intention of trying to make an impression with buyers and breeders uh, with a really nice, uh, authentic first crop, get them started the right way, first sale of the year, kick things off right. It was absolutely the intention. Uh, I would say the, the results very much exceeded our expectations. So, But she was a filly who has always been a nice filly. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of subtleties with these yearlings, and everything just came together over the last six to eight weeks with her, and she just blossomed and, and came out here looking really athletic, uh, really balanced, and just a classy filly. And she made an impression, and I think she stood out. And, and uh, you know, we got a little lucky and got the right people on her. And she was, uh, I, I say, she's, she was nice enough for, for people to fight over. And sure. that's kind of what we had going on. It's interesting. You had mentioned, I saw the, your, your comments post-sale yesterday about, in these last six weeks heading up to the July sale and really any sale, mm-hmm. when you start to, to prep on the yearlings, they can kind of go one way or the other on you. She's a horse that you said that had blossomed and, and came the right way. How much pressure is there do you feel with your stallions and not only horses you breed, but especially with your stallions? Is there a lot of pressure to get them started on the right foot with the with the sales? There, there is, um, and at the same time, there isn't because we do not try to manipulate the market in any way. The only what you saw yesterday is about as much as we're going to do to try to manipulate it. So, if we've got you know yearlings by a first crop sire that we're offering, yeah, we're going to try to put them in the right places um, so that they can uh, you know perform the best. And placement is so important. There's you know, probably four or five options uh, uh, that we all have for yearling sales throughout the year. And and putting any horse in the right spot is, is so important. So we're going to do that. Um, <clears throat> but we stay away from too much uh, uh, beyond that. Just put them in the right place and, and let the stallion speak for himself. You know, people in this in this industry are pretty savvy, and there's, there's not too much fooling them. Um, so you just, you know, you got to hope that uh, the stallion does his job gets the kind of offspring um, that that are going to appeal to both commercially to the pin hookers and and to the end users and and if you'll do that um, you can't go too far wrong you have a great team in place at spendthrift when did the process start identifying this filly to bring to july 
how did that progression look with you and your team? Mm-hmm. When did you start looking at, at these horses as potential candidates to sell for this sale as opposed to waiting a little bit? How does that process work with you guys? Yeah, I, I think formally the process starts, <clears throat> you know, um, I would say for us probably February, March. Um, but informally, I think really from day one, we're always evaluating these foals, um, scrutinizing them with a the blacksmith, um, think, you know, just organize, organizing our thoughts. So you always have these thoughts in mind really from day one as you're looking at these foals and they, they grow up on the farm and you, you begin to, you can't help but have those thoughts into your mind. Well, this would be a great Saratoga horse. This is, this is a horse who's going to need time. We need to push him back as late as we can. So you, you've always got those thoughts. But our yearling manager, um, um, <clears throat> uh, Martin Martinez, does a great job. He's been with us for years, uh, was the assistant with us under two different yearling managers, and, and uh, we were really happy a couple of years to be able to promote him to yearling manager, and he does an incredible job. And I rely very heavily on him. And so we sit down and we really begin to talk about what horses are going to fit where. And it, it, it's physical. It, it's how mature are they? Um, it's what do the vet reports look like? Sure. Um, you know, every sale has a, a, a different makeup of what, what you can and can't put in there. Uh, you know, we think of July as being a, kind of a pinhooker heavy sale, although ironically we sold this filly to an end user. Um, um, but, you know, you really want something – something quick looking, something, something precocious, um, and, 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 and commercial looking to bring to July here. Um, I think this filly was all of those things, but she still, um, as authentic does has sort of a classic look about her as well. Um, but, uh, you know, back to the original question, you know, we start to formulate a list that we're going to show all the sales companies, um, uh, of our yearlings and what we think makes sense for, for all the different sales. Um, <clears throat> with you guys, with Phasic Tipton, the questions, do we want to go July, Saratoga, or, or October? With Keeneland, it's, it's, it's about book placement. Where in the sale do you want to be? Um, and, and all of these are, you know, they're, they're hugely important. Placement um, is, is a big, big deal. And uh, although, again, ironically, I think this filly probably could have sold anywhere. We could have sold her on the street corner, and, and, and she'd have done really, really She was well. a very classy horse. She, she was, yeah. and I think there's no hiding, and only so much you can do to accentuate her. She just she just plain really, really nice. Yeah. You had mentioned that you, you guys have used these July sales as, as you want some, some precocious-type-looking horses. Mm-hmm. You've done very, very well with July the past few years. You, you topped the sale this year not only with an authentic but a homebred authentic Last year, you had the highest price first crop sire with an Omaha Beach filly that brought 410000 And then Into Mischief, although it was a horse you didn't breed, topped the sale in 2021. What do you think it is about July that really showcases the Spendthrift Stallions in that regard? Well, I, I, I like to think that we've all been doing this long enough that we're starting to figure out um, uh, what's the best place to put all these horses. And, and um, you know, in our case, we've got about anywhere from – 85 to 95 uh, broodmares in a given year. And one of the things that's really important for us is to try to spread these yearlings out because we'll, we may have eight or 10 by authentic and five or six by into mischief. And, and um, you know, you don't want to put them all in one spot. Um, and at the same time, July is the start of the sales season. And so it, it, it is important to, to get off to the right start. And so we will often look at a horse that, that try to find a horse that maybe is 
borderline Saratoga type um, that that we would just move up, bring here. That'll open up a spot for another horse in Saratoga or, or September, um, but something that's going to make an impression. Um, and it's just something that through trial and error over time we've sort of figured out and, and we've been able to hit it on the head the last couple of years. And you're off to a great start this year with your freshman sires. You're the, the horses have first crop two-year-olds of this year. You've got the leading sire so far with Matoli. You've got Vino Rosso as well, who's having a very good year. Did you anticipate the starts with, with those two horses getting off to as good a start as they have? <laughs> well, I'd love to tell you that we knew it all along, <laughs> but I'd be lying. Um, c- certainly we expected them to. Um, you know, we were very fortunate several years ago to land a, just sort of a bumper crop of stallions. We we brought in, as you mentioned, Vino Rosso, Omaha Beach, and Matoli, who we sort of thought of as our big three. But uh, we also brought in Maximus Mischief. Yeah, you have, you have four of the top who, five who is, as we speak who is, right who is, now. Yeah. right there returning, uh, you know, performing with those guys. Um, a totally different price point, but he's getting it done, and he doesn't know what a stud fee is. So, And I'm pretty sure his offspring don't either. So... They're really doing a great job. And even Coldfront, I think, is number six um, uh, on, on the list. So we, we were able to bring in those five horses, and, and that was really exciting. We, we were able to buy them during their racing careers, and we were fortunate that most of them finished up really strongly and, and came in to the, the marketplace with momentum off the track and got really good books, were well-supported. We've heard great things about really all of those, um, the offspring by all of those stallions. And so we, we came into these sales season really optimistic about what we were going to see. Um, <clears throat> but, but, um, you know, you, you never, you, you never know, are they, are they going to run like they look? And, uh, uh, but, but so far they've gotten off to a great start on the track um, couldn't be happier with that. And, and, uh, you know, so you hope, but you, you just, you, you just never know. We've seen, I think if you've been doing this long enough, you, you see so many horses that look the part that don't perform and others, you know, there's, there's some wonderful horses that have topped the sire list, uh, in, in recent years that, that nobody was talking about them in their first, uh, first couple of years commercially. Um, so again, as our, our 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 founder, the late Wayne Hughes, used to love to say, nobody knows, and we all like to think we know, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, we don't. So we came in, we were optimistic, but uh, you know, so far, really happy with uh, halfway through the year how they're doing. And you guys have had some some bumper crops, as you say, with bringing in stallions. You've had, as we mentioned, you've got four out of the top five there. You've also got Colfront in there as well. You had. Is it five stallions that came with the class of 2023 with the Weanlings, uh, with Yaupon, Known Agenda, Basin, By My Standards, yeah. Rock Your World? So you had yeah. a big group there. Yeah. You had Jackie's Warrior that, that retired last year, Cyber Knife, Modonical, Greatest Honor, those horses mm-hmm. coming in. Is that, do you think Spendthrift continues on that trajectory with, with bringing in those big groups of horses like that? You guys are known as the Breeders' Farm. Yeah. And obviously the results are now translating with the freshman sire list. You're seeing the results in the sales ring as well. Do you see yourself continuing on that trajectory? Yeah, I, th- I think we recognize that that at its core, this is it is a numbers game. And going back to the statement that nobody knows. I mean, you all you can really do with these horses is if you can if you can anticipate that you think that as a farm you can get a good uh, book of mares to these horses. 
that's a horse worth taking a shot on if 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 we think that they will be accepted by the breeding public because because we have no way of knowing whether they'll be successful or not um i i recently saw a, an old catalog page of sunday silence and it was as white as can you can imagine i mean there's there's hardly a black type horse on that entire page you wouldn't in a million years look at that pedigree and think here is one of the most influential in international yeah. sires in the modern world. Change the world. Um, let alone something you'd want to pay to go try to win a claiming <laughs> race somewhere. I mean, it's just, it, it's remarkable to look at. And you go back and you look at uh, our horse into mischief. We bought him for $180,000 out of a two-year-old in training sale. A lot of our uh, incentive programs were based on how are we going to, trying to figure out a way to, to get people to breed to him. Um, and yet now he's he's now you can start to put him in a category with horses like Bold Ruler. He's he's on his way with, with a little luck. He's going to be uh, uh, five years in a row uh, leading General Sire, which hasn't been done since Bold Ruler. So we're talking about since the 1960s. Um, and this is a horse that we were begging people of, of, uh, not that long ago, begging people to breed to him. So. You know, you, you, I think it's important. What we want to do is we want to obviously offer the best quality horses we can, but we also want to offer horses to our breeders at, at a variety of levels. And that was that was something that was really important to Mr. Hughes and I think continues to be important to us, that this is not just about uh, the elite uh, um, um, and, 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 you know, the, 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 the blue bloods, but, but trying to make this work for for everybody, for, for, for small breeders, because they, as Mr. Hughes used to like to say, they're, they're the backbone of the industry and um, they represent a fairly significant part of the market. And so we want to try to make things work for them. So we're going to continue to try to bring in quality, but we're also going to try to bring in horses that appeal at a variety of levels in the market. And, and that's kind of what those numbers represent. And you mentioned you have anywhere between 85 to 100 broodmares, let's say. Mm -hmm. You guys obviously race as well. What what do you factor into the process? I know you, you had mentioned vet work that, that goes into the to the sales process. What is the process like with knowing which ones you're going to keep to race, if that is something you do, or do you try to offer a majority of your horses? How does that process yeah, we, work? We very much try to offer a majority of our horses, and that's, you know, through the transition from Mr. Hughes to um, his, his um, son-in-law, Eric Gustafson, and the daughter, uh, Tamara, um, you know, that's been one of the things that we've wrestled with. How do, would we continue to do what we did under Mr. Hughes, which was offer the vast majority um, of our crop at auction? And really the main ones that in the past that didn't go through were the ones that with some vet issues. And we did really well racing a number of those. So, um, but, you know, we've talked about what we would, we would keep, what we would sell. And we've kind of made the, you know, a, after really wrestling with this for, for a while, we've, we've kind of arrived at the conclusion that it's probably best uh, to take the vast majority of our crop um, to market and make them, make them available to, uh, to buyers. Um, I think it hurts you a little bit too. If you're, if, if you're holding back the best ones for yourself, um, people start to look at what you do take out there with a, with a a little bit of a a poisoned eye. And, and so, um, you know, we're going to take, uh, again, the vast majority of the crop will will, will be out there at, at public auction, and um, and we'll give people um, you know give people the opportunity to buy them. We're not going to 
give these horses away, but uh, we're also not going to be unreasonable. For example, yesterday, I think the reserve on the filly that we sold was 225, sell at $225,000. She brought 475. So filly we wanted to get paid for, but, but, you know, we weren't going to be overly ambitious with with our reserves. But as you mentioned, it was a horse that people were going to fight over and they, they carried her up to the number. Yeah. And you, you, that's the way you feel going in, but you never quite know. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So segueing into the, to the Saratoga, you guys have a a nice catalog of horses that we will talk about here in just a few moments, but you've also had some success buying Saratoga graduates, the two top runners that Spendthrift has this year, Kings Barnes, a Saratoga graduate, but then you purchased out of the two-year-old in training sale from Miami from Phasic Tipped into the major dude, uh, two-time graded stakes winner this year. You guys bought at Saratoga. Let's start with Kings Barnes. Do you re- remember him from Saratoga before you you purchased at Gulfstream? I, I actually had to go back and look at my notes, and and we had him down as a you know a, a solid individual. And I honestly don't remember why it was that we ended up getting off of him, but we certainly cost ourselves some money in doing so. Uh, but we we're still able to wind up with a very very nice horse, and and uh, happy to have him. And he's he's been a lot of fun to campaign, and and. Uh, uh, you know, just a talent at athletic horse. And, and, you know, mostly what we're looking for our Colts is something that has the potential to wind up in our stud barn. And he certainly has that potential. And then with major dude, you guys purchased him at Saratoga, a great way to support a stallion that, that you stand as well in Bolt Oro. Yeah. What was the process? How, how did you narrow in on him to, to identify him as a racing prospect? You know, we, we, I think we go into any sale. Um, our primary goal is to find athletes, um, that can perform on the racetrack, the Colts, we want them to be able to be able to make a case for them to stand at stud eventually um, <clears throat> if they perform well enough um, or, or the Phillies to, to want be something that we'd, we'd want to have in our broodmare band in the long run. Um, <clears throat> I, I think in, in his case, um, <clears throat> we, we did have it in mind that we wanted to try to support Bolt Doro as a first-year sire. And, and we keep that in mind with all of our first-year horses. If, if there's something that we feel good about, um, they're probably going to get a, a preference over something by another sire. And uh, so we were, it was not hard to find options to support Bolt Doro up at Saratoga. There were some, some very, very nice horses. Um, and we were really happy to come away with our first pick. We didn't have to pay the most money. Um, but we came away with our first pick, and he's a very nice horse. Todd's told me m- many times, Todd Pletcher, the trains him, is a, is a very easy horse to train. He comes out of the barn, uh, out of the stall sound every morning. Um, he's willing. He, he likes to go to the track and do his job and, and uh, has been a really a consistent horse for us. So. And this year you have eight yearlings up at Saratoga, and I would say probably the highlight uh, amongst the draft or certainly just from a pedigree perspective We'll be curious to see how the how the horse looks up at Saratoga, but you have eight yearlings, and you have the fifth foal out of out of Beholder, uh, who's coming up mm-hmm. to the sale uh, horse by Curlin. Can you talk a little bit about the decision making process? You've had some success this year with with Tina Ella being a graded stakes winner out of her now, mm-hmm. and how how did that come to be that you you guys were going to offer her a public auction? Uh, offer, offer him, him. Offer, offer him a public auction. Excuse um, me. Well, and first of all, I would say this is this is um, I think the, the the eight that we're taking represents the largest number that we've ever taken to Saratoga, and and I think that that speaks well of our stallions and and and, and our crop because I tend to think that it's really important 
what kind of physical you take to Saratoga. And Saratoga is a wonderful place to, to sell a horse. And if you take the wrong horse, it's uh, a long ride home. <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, you know, so we had the fact that we had eight horses that we felt fit into that physically, that criteria uh, to go and could stand up to the scrutiny of the best buyers in the world. Um, uh, we're, we're very happy about that. Um, as, as far as Beholder, uh, you know, this, again, represents the decision we made to, to bring, you know, uh, almost every uh, horse that, uh, in, in our crop to auction. And, um, you know, this is a very nice colt. Uh, we think he will stand up to that scrutiny as well. Um, and we just, we wanted to, we, we felt like it was very important, really, the bottom line, I think, is to, to continue to do what we've been doing, which is to treat this like a business. Um, as you said, Beholder, um, after a little bit of a slow start, seems to be getting things sorted out as a broodmare. Um, Tina Ellis is a really, really nice filly um, with, with Richard Mandela. Um, the, the two-year-old by Bolt Doro is not yet named, but um, Raul Reyes, who, who broke her, uh, both he and Richard Mandela, who now has her at the track, their impression has been that this is the most talented um, of her offspring yet. So she seems to be on an upward tra trajectory there. Um, this colt is is uh, uh, probably the strongest physical that she's uh, that she's thrown so far. Um, as a son of Curlin, um, you know, I, I don't think there's too many of the top buyers in the world that wouldn't uh, wouldn't be interested in a in a colt like this. So we're very you know, we're really excited to be able to offer like this, a horse like this. We think that taking advantage of that sort of magical environment at Saratoga is, is the place to, uh, you know, that's a perfect spot for them. And, um, you know, really looking forward to it. And you also have nice representation by, by some sires as well. You have an authentic that's headed up there. You have a Colt and a Philly each by Vacoma who has his first crop yearlings this year that are very well received. You have Omaha beach from his second crop, a couple of fillies, one out of Tammy mm -hmm. G and a Colt, mm -hmm. and then another second crop horse uh, with Vino Rosso. Talk about the decision-making process there, obviously with authentic and Vacoma wanting to showcase yeah. horses there with the first crop and then having Omaha beach with, with a good amount of runners out there and, and some showing some promise to bring those horses up there. Yeah. You know, you, you worry a little bit about taking second crop, sires um that may still be sitting on that bubble a little bit taking those to a place like saratoga um there's a little bit of risk because obviously a lot can happen between the time you make that decision and the time the sale actually happens um you need things to go pretty well but um you know omaha beach has certainly gotten off to the right start and every year both when it's time to sell seasons and and when his offspring go to the market to sell he's been so well um, so well received um, that we felt like this was a pretty safe play. And now that um, they've gotten off to the right start at the track, we feel like we're on, on, on pretty firm ground with those. But they're the right type of, first and foremost, they're the right type of physicals. Um, again, sort of same thing with the, with the Vino Rosso. Um, I think we're really tickled that we've got uh, a couple of Vacomas that, that stand up. He's a little bit lower price point than an authentic. Um but to have two two uh, yearlings that that stand up, we think will stand up to that scrutiny at Saratoga. I think that's a that's a um, 
a real um, uh, uh, feather in his cap that he's been able to throw that kind of individual. Hello. Yes, this is the uh, Phasing Tipton In Focus podcast. May I ask who's calling? Uh, this is Billy from uh, Mississippi. Billy from Mississippi. What uh, what question do you have for our guest, Ned Toffee, today? Well, I just want to say I've been a big fan of uh, Spendthrift Farm and uh, Ned Toffee, so this is a great honor to speak to him today. How are you, sir? Well, I'm just fine, Paul. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Paul Manganero joining us today on our inaugural podcast. So, Paul, thanks for calling. This is a little bit of a new feature as well, so we are actually surprised that this technology works. Paul and Ned have been longtime fans. Paul, uh, a, a great racehorse owner, a supporter of Phasic Tipton as well, so thanks for calling in, Paul. And wh- where are you today? I'm in right outside of Boston, Massachusetts, uh, yeah, at my office in Woburn. And your your relationship with Ned goes back quite a quite a few years. I think it predates the horse racing industry. Is that correct? Yeah, it sure does. It goes back to our time as uh, roommates and teammates at the University of Massachusetts back in the early '80s. And at that time, he was under 200 pounds, so that was a long time ago. <laughs> no, it, it was a pleasure uh, being uh, Ned's roommate and um, and teammate. And then you know before our um, senior year at UMass we didn't have girlfriends or, or any friends so we decided to go and spend the summer in Lexington and uh this is a good story we, at that time there was great stallions like Nariere, Blushing Groom, Alleged, Halo around and we said we gotta learn we're gonna buy a notebook so we bought a notebook and we'd go around and take notes on these stallions and uh, the best comment I can remember was big brown horse that's how that's how sophisticated we were back then but <laughs> he's come a long way well, I would say you both have. So what, what has been a, uh, a good experience that you guys, I'm hoping they exist, a good experience you guys have had together at the racetrack or, or in, the, uh, in the industry that you can share with us? Well, you know, we're in two different, uh, we're in the same business, but in two different capacities. He's general manager of one of the biggest farms in the country, and I, I'm a small breeding operation that uh, invests in uh, racing and, and breeding and stallion shears. Uh, so you know, I share I share his successes uh, because he's my friend, and uh, I hope he does the same. Even though we don't have as many successes as uh, Spencer for Ned Toffee, but I can go around and say, "Bye." I knew Ned Toffee when he was nobody. Now he's my friend. <laughs> Ned, do you have any any rebuttals? Any? <laughs> no, I, I I I will tell you, um, Paul and and his his dad who who's no longer with us. There's such a huge. I'm I'm so appreciative uh, of everything they've done for me over the years because you know I was I came down here to Kentucky I was I was working on a farm matter of fact the Sites family farm uh, Anna Sites was I, th- I think about eight years old at the time um, but every time the Manganeros would come into town they they'd invite me out to dinner with them and you know they'd talk about they were selling horses with Eaton Williams back then and so. They would relay their discussions that they'd had with John Williams and Lee Eaton, two guys that are just, you know, titans of the industry. And, and I would get to hear all of this discussions kind of recounted and, and discussed and mulled over. And, and it, was, it was a huge learning experience. And Mr. Manganar was always so great um, about including me in those things. And, and um, um, so it just knowing... Knowing Paul and knowing his dad and his whole family has just been—it's—it's 
it's just been a huge leg up for me over the years and, and uh, class people and, and uh, um, no, great, great, great experience. Just the best things, like like they'd said, the best times where we'd take him out to dinner when he was first down there before that, my father would ask a question. So, Ned, what do you think about the seal? The answer was, I don't know. Ned, what's done? <laughs> I don't know. Ned, who do you think the Kentucky Derby? I don't know. So after like 10 questions of and what the answer is, I don't know, my father would say, Ned, why don't you tell us something you do now? Well, <laughs> you know, and I... In my defense, Mr. Manganero uh, was a remarkable guy. And this was a guy who, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think two years of college and then came back and headed up the family business and has taken it to, I mean, the, you know, massively successful, largest drywall on contractor in New England, um, you know, hugely successful. And, and this was an incredibly street savvy man. And I what I figured out very quickly was if you, you do not try to BS this guy because he could smell it coming a mile away. And so I just decided if I don't know the answer to something, I'm not going to make it up. I'm yeah. just going to say, I don't know. Well, a good can, life lesson. He was, you know, I'm cleaning stalls at, at Brookdale farm and he's asking me things about, you know, real estate values. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I just, it's, I don't know. And he just get, you know, but, but I am going to I am going to tell this one on Paul, though, about his, his but the first time I ever had dinner uh, at, at Paul's house, sit down with his whole family, uh, Paul and his his mom and his dad and, and brother and two sisters. And we get about halfway through dinner and Mr. Manganero looks at me and he says, Ned, do you know anything about horses? And I said, well, you know, a little bit. And he says, me, he says, I feel like secretariat. And I said, oh, well, how is that, Mr. Manganaro? He says, I was great in my day, but I haven't been able to reproduce myself. <laughs> you know what my response was? Just my response was, can I have another uh, tray of raviolis, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Paul, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, we're we're going to let guys. you go. We'll finish up here with Ned. But but thanks for calling into the podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, you guys enjoy. Bye. See you. That was a nice little uh, test of that. So thanks for thanks for playing along with us. <laughs> no problem. So just just to recap, Saratoga, you had mentioned uh, this is the biggest draft that you you have coming up there this year. But you talked about the magic of Saratoga as well. What, in your opinion, is the magic of Saratoga? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? And what makes it such a special place and a special sale? <clears throat> I, I think it's a lot of things. Um, there's there's such a wonderful history. I think. The great uh, writer Joe Palmer said Saratoga has its ghost, its own brand of ghosts. And and you just walk around there and you feel that history. Um, and it's a night sale that all of, you know, particularly the first night, all, a lot of the townspeople come out. There's a huge crowd. Um, there's just there's an electricity in the air that's palpable. And um, I think it's it's probably hard for some buyers not to get caught up in it a little bit. And so it's just, it's just a great environment. And, um, I think, you know, we all look forward to it all year long. And, um, so it, it, it really is a, a special place. Yeah. I, I know the electricity you're speaking of the first time I went to work there and, and announced a sale, I felt like coming down through the tunnel where the horses come down through and then into the auction stand, it was almost like going in to an arena or a coliseum a little bit. You have bidders all around you. The the noise that is down there that you're in the center of with the horses who 
I mean, they're, they're, the horses that handle themselves up there and show themselves are class individuals for being up there. It is a it is such an exciting environment, and you you can feel that energy, like you just said. You absolutely can. And it and it just <laughs> makes for two incredibly amazing nights. And we're we're so thankful that Spendthrift is going to be a part of it again this year. And we look forward to uh, to the great draft of horses you're bringing up there, and and all the success you've had this year. And hopefully, we continue on through the rest of the sales season. Well, thank thank you, and we're we're looking forward to it. And um, it's it's always exciting. I'm, I'm I can't wait to to get up to Saratoga, and uh, um, hopefully, we'll sell some horses and buy some horses and have a good time. Great. Well, Ned, thanks for joining us on the first edition, the inaugural edition of the Phasing Tipton Focus Podcast. We want to thank everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next edition. <laughs>